Hey everyone, welcome to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast, a podcast dedicated towards helping you stay healthy so you can stay on the golf course and not in the clubhouse. We will be covering all things golf, from fitness, performance, injury recovery, instruction, and everything else in between. I am your host, Dr. Russ Manalastis. I am a board-certified sports physical therapist and strength coach based out of Rochester, New York. Our goal with this podcast is to help you play your best golf yet while doing so without limitations. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Russ. Today, we have Ben Shear, who is one of Golf Digest's top 50 best golf fitness trainers. He's owner of Ben Shear Golf, and he's also the fitness advisor to Golf Digest. Ben, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for spending a little time with us. Yeah, happy to be on and happy to kind of hopefully maybe share some knowledge. Yeah, so Ben, for maybe our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you, can you maybe Tell us a little bit about your background in terms of maybe where you went to school, your, your journey through, you know, your work environments before ultimately opening up your own facility and working obviously with a lot of the top golfers of the world. Yeah. So I probably don't have the typical background. I mean, I'm 51 years old and, you know, being a trainer and doing what I do really wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> um, sure, right. Nobody had that, you know, there was no going to school for that. I mean, if you wanted to kind of get into our field, it was much more like you were going to be a gym teacher in school. Um, So I actually went to school originally for economics and finance. Uh, I was going to study business and I was taking a bunch of like unrestricted, you know, elective classes in like physiology and other stuff. And I quickly found myself really interested in those and actually didn't mind reading and studying and doing that work where I hated studying my economics book and my finance class and all that stuff. So ultimately at the end, I actually said, hey, look, I'd really rather go in the fitness industry. And at the time, NYU had like this year and a half long intensive program through the School of Continued Education, where you went and like, you didn't have, there was no electives, there was no, it was like, you took exercise testing, you took biology, you took, you know, physiology, you took nutrition, you took like everything intensive just related to like, what would it take to be able to train people. Right. So I went and did that. And it was just, you know, through the school, through NYU. And it was a lot of people who had been gym teachers, a lot of people who had different, some people were in pre-med, people who just kind of wanted to go down this path. Uh, so it was a pretty cool program that I did that. And then ultimately, you know, I was a pretty competitive racquetball player at the time. Sure. And I, was, I had a job like in a health club where I played racquetball, like training people. And I was just happy to have a place where I could practice, to be honest, <laughs> um, you know, and, and not have to pay so right. I wasn't much money. But, you know, I, I quickly found myself really interested in the science of it and studying a lot more and spending a lot more time and, you know, was out of there pretty quickly because I didn't feel like they were evolving at the rate that I wanted to evolve at. Sure. You know, sports training wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. I wanted to work with athletes because I was doing it for myself as an athlete. You know, and I really literally was going out and finding like a guy here, a guy there who had studied, you know, Russian plyometrics and I would pay him to be my trainer. And we would do like case studies where I'd go in and say, hey, today pretend I'm a, you know, 18 year old college basketball player and tomorrow mm-hmm. pretend we're this. And we went through these things and literally I had no money. I was making like $8 an hour. And I gave <laughs> all my money to these guys. Literally, I mean, I, I didn't have a bank account. I would cash my check, which was like $300 a week, go to those like cash checking places, like with the bulletproof glass, <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. And the guy takes like, you know, 20% of your check just to cash it. Right. And any bills that I had, I would have to get a money order and pay for it. I literally had no money, but I was just so fascinated. I was going out and finding people who were great in the field and spending all of my money and all of my time trying to learn and get better. And I think I've always had that kind of mindset. Like, 
just a passion for the learning part of it and finding people who are kind of leading the way or being kind of leaders in it. And I want, you know, kind of looked at myself as a young man and said, someday I'd like to be that guy. I, yeah. I would like to be able to lead. And, uh, you know, that was kind of where it really started for me. And then ultimately I was going to people's houses and then opened up my first studio and had clients and all that kind of stuff. So that's awesome. And that's a great story. I think you said it right. I think when you have a passion for something, you're more than willing to seek it out in any way possible in order to become better at that passion and ultimately turning your passion into uh, a job that obviously now has led you down these crazy different paths. It sounds like it sounds like it's been a great opportunity for you. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, and I, you know, you, in this, you can learn, first of all, no matter what you learn in school, there's always more to learn in this industry. Yep. Like I've had over the years, many guys with master's degrees in physiology and you name it, you know, big degrees more than I have related to the specific science. And they'll all tell you, if we went back and interview, I'm like, man, I learned more from Ben than, you know, <laughs> cool. Right. And again, because it's just, it, it's just who I am as a person yeah. uh, and, and a desire to do it. And, and I think uh, the application part too, like you talked about, you can be the smartest person and have all these different degrees and certifications and stuff like that. But the application to your clients, your athletes, whatever it may be, that is, I think what sticks most out to a lot of the people that are trying to seek out your services, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about results. I mean, Absolutely. that's what we're selling. We're not selling our certification. We're not selling our degrees. We're not selling our name or our brand. We're selling results. People want to get whatever it is, their sport or lose weight or whatever, get stronger, faster, whatever you're trying to do. Someone has an objective, they come to you and say, look, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And can you help them accomplish that in a safe, effective way without getting injured, all that good stuff. Right. You're really good at delivering on the outcomes. You're going to be successful in this field. Absolutely. So why golf? Like, I know obviously you've done some work with uh, the hockey population and things like that. Was golf something you knew you wanted to get into or was it more just an opportunity that presented itself as you kind of continued in your career? So I, I recently did a podcast for a business company. A business pod on a business podcast and they were huh. asking the same question and, and what I said to the guys that's interesting is that like I want like I said earlier today I wanted to train athletes that was where my interest lied and back then I mean so let's call this 1995 or something I don't know a long time ago <laughs> there was no such thing as sports training that wasn't even a thing right. right I mean you know maybe there was three or four guys maybe Boyle and yeah uh, you had IPI down in Florida there was a few that maybe there was like four people in the country doing it. That was it literally as a business. And I wanted to do that. And, and so what I quickly learned is I live in New Jersey that there's not a lot of professional athletes here. Number one. <laughs> okay. Well, that's one part of the population. Not so good. College kids are in school most of the year. They were good in the summers, yeah. but the rest of the year they weren't around. And then high school kids, they were only good after school. And so I quickly learned like, Hey, if this is a job that I want to make a career, that's not a really good business model. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's why so many of these sports training places that have opened over the years, all of these velocities and all these go out of business because it's actually a flawed model, right? <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, what type of people have a kind of sporting goal and functional uh, results that they're looking for? but they can come in the morning. They can come during the day. They have money to pay for my services. Yeah. They, they met a criteria and golf happened to fit that bucket, right? Golf people are so passionate, right? Yeah. I'll go and work with my tour players. I'll go to whatever, you know, TPC Sawgrass and I'll come back and the guy was like, Oh, how was your week? And I'm like, Oh, it's a good week. Yeah, whatever. But you know, they're like, man, I played there in 1984. I remember my shot on the, my third shot on the seventh hole. I was in the rough, like guys like we're passionate about golf. I mean, they're just crazy, right? Like they yeah. just have this, 
incredible passion for the game. They remember everything. I was like, wow, this is a great population. And they really cared. And then, and then I started studying the science of golf, right? And what's cool about golf is that golf happens to be a sport that has a lot of research in it because it's one of the few sports where you go when you're ready. Like, it's not, you're not reacting to a ball. You go when you want. Yeah. Your feet aren't moving. The ball is standing still. It checks a lot of boxes. Right. I mean, today's technology is allowing us to do better in other games. But in the past, golf was one of the few sports that we could really get into studying biomechanics and ground reaction forces and all kinds of cool stuff due to the essence of the game, right? So as I started studying it, I was like, wow, there's a lot really going on here. I mean, you need more range, you need more range of motion and probably more joints in the body than in any other sport. Yeah. Number one, man, you got to have this like ballistic rotary power, almost like a shot putter combined with this like fine motor control of like a baseball pitcher or a marksman, right? It's like, man, there's a lot going on here. So all of a sudden I found myself like, like I said, I'm a learning guy. And in the science, I was like intrigued. And all of a sudden I started calling people who have done research. And I'm calling people up technology. And all of a sudden I found myself like in the middle, back then nobody even cared about these people, right? right? I mean, there were no TPI, there was no any of that stuff, nothing yeah. like that even existed, right? So all of a sudden I found myself in the center and becoming friendly with the biggest science sports science guys in the world of golf long before golf training was even a thing right right and all of a sudden i've started becoming because of my desire to learn all of a sudden i actually became like a real expert at the topic that nobody else really understood and all of a sudden like you look back and you're like wow i never even thought why i was doing it. i was just doing it out of a passion right. but all of a sudden now everybody was coming to me saying okay well i have this technology or i have this whatever what are you doing to apply it like yeah. wh what do you do about that right it's cool to look at these information what do you do about the information? Right. Right? So all of a sudden, I became a resource as a trainer to them into application stuff, right? Yeah. So it was pretty cool kind of how it evolved. And then uh, I was working with a local country club pro here and like in the late 90s. And I had a lot of local country club people was doing pro. I was teaching, working with like a lot of the New Jersey golf professionals who took their game still playing and competing really seriously. Yeah. And it was, I think, 19, winter of 1998 – one of the golf pros I was working with was working with a teacher named Simon Holmes, who was a European teacher at the time, who had worked for Ledbetter. And he was going down to spend some time with him in Orlando in the winter. And I guess it was a rainy day. And it turns out Robert Carlson, who you know was on the European tour and the PGA tour for a long time, happened to take lessons from the same teacher. So they're having, it's a rainy day. They're down at Black Bear in Orlando. And the guy that I'm working with says, well, I'm going to go to the gym and work out. Robert says, oh, I'll go with you. And he sees what this guy's doing. And he's like, well, what's all that stuff? And he's like, oh, I work with this guy, Ben, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, can, can I meet him? And the guy, he's like, I don't know. They called me up that day. I had a conversation. I literally flew down to Orlando the next day, and that was it. I was off and running. Wow. Right? And all of a sudden, he increased his driving distance more than anybody on the European tour over the next year, went out and won a couple times, and then there you go. So, I mean, like you know, the old saying, like, right place at right time, a little bit of luck, a little bit of smarts, a little bit of all those things. Yeah. My, my story is no different really than anybody else. That's awesome. And again, like you said, the opportunity to show the value, right? When, when you have the opportunity to, to have people understand what you do. Because like you said, back then, there weren't many people doing that specifically for golf, right? So oh, yeah. Robert was traveling with like med balls in his golf bag and we had like stability balls that he would have to go to a gas station and blow up each week <laughs> like if people thought he was a, and you know this is 1998 right. you know i mean you know even guys like podrick harrington who you know became such a big fitness guy yeah. 
would look at us like, what are you idiots doing? <laughs> right. And then like two years later, three years later, he's doing the same thing. So are people who are, let's say on tour or maybe you're playing, you know, or trying to play professionally, are they traveling down to you down in Jersey to kind of seek out your services or are you going to them? How does that work out for you? So it's a combination. So some of my guys spend some time here. Obviously I go see them at their homes a bit. And then I also go to a certain amount of events. So it's a little bit of a combination of everything. Nice. But I think the convenience factor of having your ability to do that, like uh, I'm sure that obviously takes well to them too, especially for guys that are constantly traveling on tour and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I'm not the right guy. If you're, if you're the type of tour player who wants, you know, somebody at every single event holding your hand, grabbing you at the end of the range at the end of the day saying, let's go. And like, if you need the motivation and you're not self-motivated to train and you're not, you know, you need that kind of kick in the butt day to day. I'm not the right guy for you. Right. I don't, I don't want to live out there 30, 35 weeks a year. I, I, I don't want I want to provide testing programming implementation and then support and say in between go do your thing yeah work hard do you know we can hop on a facetime or do whatever if we need to but i spend enough time where i feel like i'm comfortable with you doing it go to work and we track it and we record what we're doing and all that stuff but i'm not a day-to-day on the tour live out on the road guy that's just i have a family i want to be home i have my own facility you know that's a different life sure yeah, it's a great life for certain guys, but not for me. Not you know, I have a 16 year old son that I want to be home with and a wife and all that stuff. So a little sure. different. Yeah, I mean, well said too. I think it's for some people, but in your case, with the situation you've got, owning your own business and doing all the other stuff you got going on, I think putting yourself in a position to know that hey, listen, this is what I, this is what I offer, and, and if you like it, great. If not, there's other people out there. I think that's that's yeah. great that you can put yourself in that position. Yeah, look, there's something for everyone, and you gotta you got to be true to yourself because at the end of the day, this is a business and any of these guys, you know, you become friendly with them, but they're not your friends. It's a business, right? And the minute they think somebody else can give them a better chance to win or whatever, sometimes it's just, they just need a change. They need a break. They will get rid of you. Yeah. You know, my son and my wife, hopefully are not going to get rid of me that easy. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> hopefully there's a little more longevity there. <laughs> All right, so tell us, because again, obviously, I know you're the, the fitness advisor to Golf Digest. Maybe tell us a little bit about that backstory as to maybe how Golf Digest became on your radar or maybe vice versa. Yeah, so I've been working with Golf Digest now for, I don't know, maybe on my third contract or fourth contract with them as an advisor for a long time. Originally, you know, it started, I, I, if I remember exactly, I think it started in 2010, coming down the end of the golf season on tour. And Webb Simpson and Luke Donald were both like fighting for the last, the very last event, which was Disney at the time, to see who was going to win the player of the year. And as they were doing stories about the two of them, it came up that I trained both of them. <laughs> so there came up a story, which was like, what do Webb Simpson and Luke Donald at the time have in common? They have Ben Sheer in common, right? And then all of a sudden, so they started reaching out to me just occasionally for some content. Hey, we're doing on a story on this. Would you want to contribute here or there? And as I started contributing, they really loved what I was providing for them and the information. And we kind of built a good relationship. And they said, look, you know, we're always going to have other people provide content as well. But we need advisors that help us steer it and provide content, can tell us what's not good, whatever. Would you become interested in kind of joining our staff, becoming an advisor for us on the fitness side? Because the fitness side is starting to actually, it was like 2010, 11, whatever it was, is starting to grow. And this is going to need to be something that's 
a bigger piece of what we do as a, as a media company. And that's not really where our expertise lies. So we need to bring in people who can provide expertise in the area. And so they brought me on board and, you know, luckily it's been a good relationship ever since. And, you know, they've been great to me. I think they're a great company. I think there's some really exciting stuff coming now with the purchase of Golf Digest from Discovery. Yeah. Uh, so they have a lot of money now behind what they're doing. Uh, Discovery is going to become the biggest golf media company in the world. And so I'm excited about some other projects that we're working on coming forward with that. That's awesome. I mean, again, the right place at the right time. And the fact that they looked at you, again, as an opportunity for you to be someone to oversee the content that is being curated through Golf Digest. I mean, I think it just goes to show you, like, you put yourself in a good position. You position yourself as a subject matter expert, which I think a lot of people try and do, but maybe don't know maybe the, the framework as to how to best do it. I, mean, I think this is a great example. And I'd say the one thing, if, you know, if you're a young trainer out there and you want to kind of go down this path, um, I mean, I think there's a bunch of things you got to do, but I really know the golf swing. Like, not saying I should teach golf. But I could sit and talk track num man numbers with the best teachers in the world. I can talk ground reaction forces, teach a lot of the best teachers in the world that stuff. I can teach 3D biomechanics to the left, a lot of the best teachers in the world. I mean, Sean Foley would sit in my classes years ago and listen to me teach how to read 3D biomechanics stuff. I mean, I've been doing 3D biomechanics since 1998 with golfers, right? So, I mean, I really understand the golf swing part. And I talk golf. So I can have real conversations with players and coaches from a true sense of knowledge. A lot of people take PPI or whatever their background might go in. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I know golf. It's like, no, no, you don't know golf. Right. Not on a level if you want to really work with tour players and be at the elite level. You have to really understand the golf swing at a much higher level. It's sure. a different thing. Yeah, and I think that comes out too, right? Because ultimately, as you go up in terms of upper echelon of the people that you work with, that becomes even more focal point, right? They'll start to kind of figure out, hey, this guy don't really understand what's going on or is it just maybe kind of a facade more than anything else? That's a good workout. Yeah. Right? So it's like, again, the average person that most of us see, and look, and I see everybody, right? I have tour players. We got 60-year-old businessmen who can't move who come to our facility, right? I got, you know, what I think what's interesting about my perspective is I really work with both. I have a juniors academy in my facility. I work with businessmen. I work with tour players. I see it all, right? And, and I deal with them all very differently, right? And like, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, it's so easy. You know, you're lucky you're getting to work with thoroughbreds. Anybody could do a good job with them. Where I would tell you that is 100% the exact opposite, right? Like you get a guy who comes in as a 15 handicap, who's got no mobility, can't, there's no stability. Anything you do is gonna make him better. <laughs> right. right. You get a guy who's operating at nine, you know, in the 0.0001% of everybody in the world, and you have to make him better? Don't tell me because I have racehorses that they're going to be better. That is nonsense. Right. Like, guys who are out of shape and bad golfers, anything that's reasonable, make them just generally more functional, basic mobility, stability stuff, they're going to get better. Yep. Like, it's easy, right? Yep. So, you know, the higher you get, the harder it gets because the odds of you making a mistake and making them worse – become dramatic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's big <clears throat> so let's do this, Ben. I mean, obviously I know you're a busy guy. You're kind of going all over the place. Maybe kind of break down for us kind of like what a day in the life with you is. Like, are you, you know, and again, obviously I remember us messaging back and forth. Like, hey, I'm in this state or I'm in this state or whatever it may be. Like, maybe kind of give us a, just kind of a glimpse as to 
what the breakdown is when you start morning, whether you're at your office or working with two players, and maybe as the day goes on. Yeah, so obviously it depends dramatically whether where, where I'm at. Right. Um, you know, a typical day at home in my facility is I'm up early, uh, coming into my facility, usually typically doing paperwork early, you know, early, trying to get ahead of my day, returning emails, uh, trying to get that stuff off my desk before the day starts. Um, I try to be kind of what I call a one-minute manager. Like when people email me, I like to start my day and just clear the thing. I, I don't like having that stuff pile up. I know you and I had texted back and forth. I think I'm usually trying to be pretty quick and yeah. getting, getting back yeah. because I know that soon as I – my history tells me that when I say, oh, I'll get that to the tomorrow and then 17 other things come in, I don't get to that tomorrow. Right, I, right, I actually right. forget that you reached out. And then people are like, oh, Ben's, you know, he's a whatever. He, you know, doesn't even respond. And it's like, I didn't even mean not to respond. It's just like, if I don't do it now, I'm, I, it just gets lost, right? So I typically try to start that stuff. Then I usually see some clients, you know, in, in the morning. Typically in the afternoon, I'm working with my staff, um, whether it be we're doing education stuff. I might be sitting down with the guys who help with my marketing or the people who do other business-related stuff. There, I try to typically for myself do some reading and education stuff during that time as well. Uh, I'm still kind of big into the reading every day. Um, so I, I try to, you know, I'm a big 10, minimum 10 page a day guy. Yeah. You know, I think it's a simple rule that, you know, so I once read years ago and I was like, oh my God, that's so easy, right? Like so easy. 10 pages a day, 3,650 pages a year, right? Like I can read 10 really good books. Yep and reasonably long books and learn a lot if I just read 10 pages a day. So I, I kind of live with that. There's days I get into it and I might read a hundred pages, right? right? But I mean, I, I kind of have given myself that kind of thought process. So that's kind of my middle day. I might do a little meditation. That's where I would do my workout, you know, kind of in that middle block that all of us who have facilities kind of have, kind of call it 11 a.m. till <laughs> three o'clock-ish, yep. right? We all have that block. Yep. So that's kind of what I kind of typically do there. Uh, then we usually have, you know, our, so I would say our morning people are more kind of our population of our, I don't want to say older people, but kind of adult population who are golfers, usually most of them recreational golfers, but we might have some country club pros coming in during that time and training, that kind of stuff. And then in the afternoons, we have our junior golf academy, depending on the time of year. Uh, we have a lot of hockey business. So in the spring and summer, it's a lot more hockey driven, but you know, kind of our afternoon, I would say typically is driven by our you know youth athletes yeah. in the summer obviously lots of college kids and all that stuff blended into that as well but kind of i would say our adults are in more in the morning we have some adults blended into the night but it's a big pr proportion and like i said our junior academy runs uh monday through fr monday through saturday every every day nice. uh, we have our where we have our juniors in doing that you know on the road obviously i'm you know the famous saying is you know I'm a waiter. I wait until the tour players have something they want me to do, right? right. You know, and depending on what time they're playing, you know, you're typically, if a guy's got a 7 a.m. tee time, you're typically got to be at the course ready to go by, for most players, about 5.30 a.m. So most guys are about an hour and a half before their tee time where they're meeting with the physical body guys. Yep. Right? And before they're going to go hit balls and go to the range and do all that stuff. So, you know, it, it could be early mornings, so depending on where you're staying. You know, so if you got to meet them at 5.30, you got to be there at 5.15. Oftentimes, you're staying in some, you're parking in some parking lot on the <laughs> other side of the world, and you got to take a shuttle across. So you got to be there at 4.45. Right. So you're leaving your, your hotel at 4.30. You know, you're up at 4 a.m. So everybody thinks it's so glorious. I promise you, like, there's a lot of great stuff to it. Don't get me wrong. 
but it's not as all always as glorious as you might think. When the shuttle doesn't show up and you're like, because it's some volunteer who's driving the shuttle and you know your player's waiting for you and he's going to be pissed because like, where's Ben? Right. And it's like, oh man, I'm like three miles away. I got no way to get to the course. You know, like all this stuff goes on, right? And you're like stressed out starting out your day together. And, that, and those days then can go, you know, depending on what time player, players are working. So typically my guys will work out early in the week, and then they'll work out also on their early day. So on Thursday, Friday, you either early, late, or late, early. The guys who, when they play early, they'll work out that after the round. So they'll play the round, have lunch, practice, then go to the gym, then go home. Right? So it depends on your schedule kind of that way. So that's kind of how you, you know, and depending on how many players you have, you could be there all day. You can have, you know, I typically when I go to event, I have multiple players. So I very rarely to get everybody on one side of the draw. So you got in the morning and late guys, right? You're kind of there all day. And like, so sometimes you're doing, you know, warm up, you know, warm ups, then another rounds of warm ups, then workouts, then post rounds. And, you know, it, it can kind of be a little bit of a crazy time. And so, you know, I definitely do a lot of travel as well for that. Yeah. And I travel a bunch to teach as well. I go around and lecture. I work with college programs, you know, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I think too, like, like you said, people want to always work with the upper echelon and always want to talk about professional sports and being the, the pinnacle of obviously whatever, you know, industry you're in. But there's a lot of work in background work that doesn't, that, that goes, you know, unsaid, right? Getting up at 4am and then going to bed very late because you got two players, like you said, stacked all over the, the schedule there. Like that's stuff that people don't realize. You know? I'll, give, I'll give you a good, and again, flights getting canceled, bags getting lost. You know, I mean, I, I literally in February, right before this whole thing broke out, I was going to Northwestern in Chicago to work with the golf coaching staff and the training staff there on ground reaction force and then some gym stuff. Yep. And then I was actually flying that same night to Luke Donald's house in Florida. So here's a great example, right? So I, I fly to Chicago. I leave my house at five o'clock in the morning. I'm on a 6 a.m. flight to Chicago. I teach all day at Northwestern. It's like raining. The weather's horrible. <laughs> I'm then taking a flight, and there's no direct flight from Chicago to West Palm Beach, so I got to fly to Fort Lauderdale, which is like an hour north, yeah. an hour from West Palm. My flight gets delayed. I literally land at like 1 a.m. in an hour away. Now you got to go get your rent-a-car. I get my rent-a-car. I drive down, and I'm staying at Luke Donald's house, but he's got a guest house. So he leaves the back door open, and I have the code to like go through the garage. I mean, there's like the house, there's a gate. Yeah. So I put the code in, the gate opens up, and you have to get into the Bears Club. He lives in the Bears Club. And so you got to go through security to get in there. But he had left my name at the gate, so no problem. So I get there, I get to the guest house, and I go to unlock the door. <laughs> Door's locked. 1 a.m., Luke's got three kids. Luke also has learned, and good behavior, put your, turn your phone off, your cell phone off at night. And of course. And I know that, so I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It's now like 1.30 in the morning, right? And I left my house at 5 a.m. that day. Oh. Right? So I got up at 4. I left at 5. I've been running all day. It's now like 1.30 a.m. And I got to meet him for the workout at 8 a.m. the next day. Oh, boy. Right? So now I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I'm like trying to find like, a door I can open, any kind of window. You know, so now it's like 2, 2.30. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, let me see if I can find a hotel. But then I'm like, well, how am I going to get to the hotel? Because I, I, I don't, I, oh, I'd taken an Uber down. I actually didn't rent a car. I took an Uber down. So I was like, how am I going to get to the hotel? And then I was like, I can't even call Uber because they don't let the Uber guy in through the right. gate. 
Right. And I don't even know how to contact the gate. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God. So now it's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm trying to, I'm finding every phone number. Somehow somebody in the clubhouse of the Bears Club eventually picks up the phone. 2.30 in the morning. Wow. And I say to the guy, I'm like, look, I explained my situation to the guy. He feels bad. I'm like, would you call the gate? And if I called an Uber, would you let the guy through the gate? So he's like, let me call you back. So he's got to call security, the whole thing, right? So eventually he says, okay, what we're going to do is we'll let him through and our security guy will follow him to pick you up. So I get back to the gate. So I finally do this. I find a hotel. I book on on my phone. I'm staying there. It's now like three o'clock in the morning, whatever. And then I go to like leave Luke's driveway and the gate's pretty high. And it's like, I got my suitcase in there, all my stuff. And like the sensor doesn't work the same way from the inside and there's no keypad. (laughs) All right, so now I'm like throwing my suitcase over this thing, climbing up like over this like nine foot thing, jumping over like, you know, so I finally get to this hotel. It's four, like four in the morning. Like, you know, so by the time you're all wound up, obviously I'm like out of my mind at this point. You go to sleep at five and you're getting up at seven because he's going to be picking you up at 7.45. Right. right? So it's like, it seems so great. Like when it goes smooth, it's great. But like there's so many of those kind of stories that when you're traveling and connecting on flights and you're dependent on your bags. Like when you do that all the time, yeah. a lot of stuff goes wrong. Yeah. It goes from bad to worse. It sounds like. Correct. Oh man, that is a phenomenal story. Well, not at the time, but no, looking back on it, man, yeah. that's so when he got up, did he, did he realize that you weren't in the, Oh my God. He, I had sent him a text and Hey, I'm at this hotel. You got to pick me up over here. He felt so bad. He's like, Oh my God. He's like, I actually had unlocked the door. Because my wife forgot you were coming. And so she, when she went around and checked the guest house, uh, and open, she locked it. <laughs> they felt first so though, right? Oh, man, that's terrible. But it was like, oh, my God. Like, really? I mean, so literally it was 24 hours at least before I went to bed. Wow. You know, and then I had two hours of sleep before I had to get up and just start again. Start a day. Yeah, yeah, not the most, not the most ideal place, time to start a day. That's for sure. And you got to show up. You know, now you've flown in to spend a couple of days with a tour player. Right. You can't be like, oh, I'm tired. Right? <laughs> right. You gotta like be engaged and yeah. like be on, right, yeah. and focused. Yeah. So. That's, all right. So for those listeners out there that are wanting to work with professional athletes, just understand there's a lot more to it than the, the you know, the, the the rainbows and unicorns that people think about. Right. Yeah. So let's do this. Obviously, you know, we're we're talking about a, a golf performance podcast. You know, obviously, I know you do a lot with regards to the technology side of golf. With a lot of the tech out there, maybe kind of speak about some of the stuff that you're utilizing and how you integrate it. Because like you mentioned before, you know, people can utilize technology, but the application of what you're doing, you know, maybe kind of speak about that as to maybe what you're doing with some of the guys that you're either traveling to see or maybe you're coming into your facility. Yeah, so I always say technology tells you what you do. It doesn't tell you why you do it. All right, so whether you're looking at track man numbers, whether you're looking at a 3D graph, whether you're looking at ground reaction forces, you know, I'm in a gym guy, I'm a tech guy in the gym. Like I have 1080 quantum machines. I have, you know, K boxes. Yep. We're using push bands. Yep. Like we're doing velocity-based work. So I'm a big, I'm a big numbers guy. Because like, I think that working with athletes, it's really motivating. Yeah. Like if I put up numbers on like, so people don't know what 1080 is. 1080 is a company that basically makes exercise equipment, cables, and different things that you can actually control every variable. You can control the concentric speed, the eccentric speed, the concentric velocity, the eccentric velocity. You can do isokinetics. You can do 
anything you can imagine, right? And it's measuring power, force, velocity of all of your movements, accelerations, peak force, average force, blah, 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 right? So you go, well, you start putting numbers up on a big screen TV and tell us, you know, a player, hey, do this rotary movement. We're trying to work on power. And he's getting feedback every rep. Trust me, guys start getting yeah. busy. Right? So I love that from a training perspective. I, I think there's really cool parts of technology. And then when you start understanding where someone in that example falls on like a force velocity curve, you can say, oh, you're a person who needs to train with heavier weights. You're a person who needs to focus more on speed training. Yep. You need to be in the middle. Like, so you, we, I actually have this whole like sophisticated testing protocols that we use to figure out exactly what your prescriptions are that are pretty cool. Nice. Um, so that's like on the training side, right? Um, using those types of technologies, K-Box, things like push bands, yep. which is a pretty cheap VBT yep. type. Of, we have those uh, here. Yep. Cool. Yep. Um, and then on the golf side, you know, in my gym, I have 3D systems. I have Swing Catalyst 3D force plate. Uh, I have TrackMan. I have, you know, I, I have pretty much everything. Um, so we are using, you know, I use my Swing Catalyst for different types of jump testing as well, not just yeah. hitting golf balls. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody who follows me will see I teach a lot for Swing Catalyst yeah. on different testing things that we're doing and how to look at, you know, people's ability to use stretch shorten and not use stretch shorten. And should you actually be, I do a thing called resistors and releasers. I do some different testing on there. You can do it with actually push bands also. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but should you be resisting your hips? Should you be trying to create X factor stretch or should you be getting a big kind of, I'll call it like, should you be Phil Mickelson and Bubba Watson or should you be Jay Day or Rory? And how do you know based on your physiology, right? So I got a bunch of testing that we do with that kind of stuff. Um, but I also am very good at looking at like how you create ground reaction forces based on I'm a rear post golfer, I'm a center post golfer, I'm a front post golfer, I'm an on top side under, blah, you know, all of this golf talk. Like again, like I know golf. Yeah. Right? So I know what kind of patterns should I want to see with different types of golfers and certain patterns create more speed and power. Certain ones one might create more accuracy, you know, so we're looking at pressure data. We're looking at force data. We're looking at all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then we take that and implement that into our training, right? Like yeah. what does that, you know, again, it just tells me what you're currently doing. Yep. Right? And certain, some of it obviously can be changed through technique of golf swing. And some of it can be changed through what we do in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, well said too. Again, like you said, technology can be great, but if you're not utilizing it, maybe that's to the best advantage of the athlete in front of you. And again, every, every athlete is different, but like you had said too, the motivating factor of if you're seeing your number and you're needing to hit it each and every time, that is definitely motivating. Again, like you said, we have push bands here and we do the same thing. Like you need to hit this number and it's gotta be green. If it's red, we gotta, you gotta ramp it up or we gotta lower the weight or whatever it may be. Right. And, I think that goes a long way in motivating athletes to see. Yeah, I mean, I was using today, I was doing my online training with Luke Donald this morning, and uh, we, you know, I have a just jump mat in his house, and we were looking at saying, hey, look, so like your numbers in this type of movement are this is your, we want our velocities to be below this, and we want our heights to be above that. Like that's our sweet spot. If we can be this fast and this high, that's our magic zone, right? And we collect a lot of data, and then we start saying, okay. You know, yeah, we get more here, but that's too slow. Here we're really fast, but we don't get enough height. Like right. here's our here's our magic zone, right. right? Or whatever. This is what we're trying to do. Find this place. That's where we want our training to be occurring. So you know that information can be so critical. Most people are just going to the gym and doing exercise. Right, right, right. They're not actually training. Right, they're exercising, not training. I, I always say, do you work out or you do you train? Right. And I, I I give golf people the same example. I go, look, there's going to the range and there's practicing and there's hitting balls. Yeah. And I say. Hitting balls is working out. 
practicing is training. Perfect. Well, well put. Big, big difference. Yeah, huge difference. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's transition to our what's in the bag segment. So you know, a lot of the golf enthusiasts love to kind of hear what a lot of our guests are swinging and what's in their bag. So maybe give us an idea as to what is in your bag and what you're swinging from a club standpoint. So I'm going to tell you, honestly, I don't get to play that much golf. <laughs> um, I travel a lot. I talk a lot of golf. And, you know, I have a kid. I, I, I like to go to the beach in the summer more so than play golf. Sure. I, I don't get a lot of time at home. So when I'm home, I try to spend it with my family. So when I play my golf, it's generally with my son. You know, once in a while with a friend here or there. Yeah. But I, when I'm home, I'm not going to go take five hours away from my family and go play a lot. So my bag, honestly, is a mixed bag. I have a Callaway driver that, you know, I got fitted by a great teaching professional, Kevin Sprecher, for me. You know, I said, hey, I hit a big slice. Can you make it go away with my club fitting? <laughs> I can help you with that. I got a Strix on irons. I literally, like, all my hybrids and all my mixed clubs are, like, out-of-tour players' bags. They're like, hey, I don't want this club anymore. You want it? I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> like, oh, I don't want this wedge anymore. The grooves are getting warmed out. My Vokey wedge, you want this? I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, so my bag is literally, like, some of my stuff, a bunch of tour player throwaways. It's like literally like a, a mixed bag. That's awesome. Well, sometimes, yeah. you know, that it keeps it interesting, I'm sure. That's what I got. I mean, I'm sure if I wanted to get a set, I could find somebody to help me out. But yeah. I'm good with it. I, again, I just play for fun. Sure. I, you know, I, I, one thing I know enough about being an expert in golf is that you got to practice and play if you want to be good. Sure, sure. I mean, There's no way around it. That's true. You got to put in the time for sure. <laughs> So let's do this. Let's do our shotgun round. So this is uh, where we ask our guests just a, a, a series of questions and you try and respond as quickly as you can without really thinking much thought of it. So first question, favorite golfer? All the guys that I train. <laughs> That's well put, Ben. Well put. Uh, how about favorite golf brand? Golf brand? I don't know. Uh, again, like I just told you about my bag. I don't really think I have <laughs> That's <a> right. <laughs> Could be a mixed bag, it sounds like. Exactly. How about like a preferred drink or snack while playing, or maybe even like a preferred drink or snack while you're working with players? Well, that what I'm eating or what they should be eating when they're playing. <laughs> <laughs> More so you than, than what they are. Yeah, I like beef jerky on the course. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really good. How about drink water? Your water yeah, guy? Guy. yeah. All right. What about uh, your preference? Par three or par five? Five. Haven't gotten many par home. Haven't we got many people that have opted for the par three there? How about a uh, cart or walk? Uh, I like a walk. Yeah. As long as I don't have to carry the bag. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so it's, if, if it's just if I like the walk with the caddy and the cart if it's just me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You got to clarify there. How about a uh, favorite movie? Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore? Uh, Caddyshack. I spent uh, – I'm part of a spart, sports science group uh, that we meet in Hawaii every year for a week. And Bill Murray spent the whole week with us this oh, year. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah you got to be a little more biased towards that. For yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> How about our favorite golf, favorite golf memory? Oh, that's easy for me. 2012 Medina Ryder Cup. I was on the European team, like inside the ropes, walking inside the ropes, Sunday morning. As people remember, golfers yeah. remember, the yes. U.S. was trouncing the European team. And, you know, I was in the locker room before the round with Luke and Jose Maria, the European captain, said, look, I put you out first. And if a blue flag doesn't go up, this, this event is over. And he said, that's why I put you out first. And obviously, <laughs> if people remember, Medina was set up 
for big hitters. Yes. Because uh, the U.S. had Bubba and DJ and all these bombers, and the European didn't have a lot of big hitters really other than Rory and Justin Rose. Yep. And so I walked inside the ropes with Luke, and he was going head-to-head against Bubba, and he absolutely just blew him off the golf course. <laughs> uh, so to be part of that and going to the party afterwards and being part of the European team, you know, I know I'm an American guy. Sorry, man. You know, I tell people all the time, it's not war. No one's going to die. It's just golf. Everybody relax. It's all good. It was just, you know, it, to be part of that, in, you know, on the inside was just an incredible experience. That's probably a pretty special moment. The party must have been pretty incredible after that, too. Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> all right. So how about someone you'd recommend we reach out to to be a guest on the show? My buddy, Dr. Will Wu. Okay. Will Wu is a PhD in motor learning. I think that we talk a lot about golf and how to teach. And in the exercise world, what are we doing? We're teaching. We're teaching people how to do exercise, teaching people how to do movement. We don't spend enough time on how do people learn motor skills. How do people learn motor skills? And he's a big golfer himself. He works with a bunch of tour players, a brilliant guy, a great guy. And I think that he can bring some really cool insights, you know, into a part that I think is really missing for a lot of people. Absolutely. Like, again, motor motor skill acquisition and stuff like that that goes a long way and retraining that can be troublesome when you're dealing with like, like you said the businessman who's been at their desk for however 25 years and then all of a sudden wants to go out and play 18 without warming up or without doing any type of mobility drills or anything like that you know yeah so so just understanding how you can better apply what we're trying to teach them yeah. i think it's an important piece to the puzzle Absolutely. So let's do this. Let's do some final words of wisdom for someone who's maybe looking to get into the golf fitness performance space. Man, what would be your recommendation? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, what would be your recommendation when it comes to trying figuring out where to start? Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, if you want to get into the industry, you have to have a passion. Like it's just got to be who you are at your core. Cause if it's not, there's too much competition. Yep. All right? Everybody wants to train professional athletes. Everybody wants to train you know, celebrities and movie stars and models and whatever, right? Like the reality is there's only going to be a small percentage of this. And the, honestly, I didn't go into it for this. That yeah. was never my intent. I, you know, it right. kind of happened as a result of doing a good job, but yeah. it was, I never went in saying, I want to train professional athletes or whatever. That was never my purpose. I think you have to have a passion and a desire to keep working harder and better. And I think you got to be willing to work for very little money, but for the right people in the first place. Yeah. Learning the right stuff is great and you know you you can go make $15 an hour working at a big health club you know if you want to work in the performance world and you're going to train a bunch of you know housewives who want to lose weight or you can make $10 an hour or make nothing interning at Mike Boyle strength and conditioning as an example or whatever it is if you're serious about the industry get nothing and go work for Mike or we take on interns other people take on interns look we're not going to pay you because the, what we're giving you is so valuable. Yeah. But if your goal is truly a long-term, I want to be somebody and be successful at this, what you will learn in these types of facilities is more valuable than anything you've ever done. And if you're not willing to make that sacrifice as a young person, yeah. I would say you're probably dreaming if you think that you're going to be successful. Yeah. You, you have more, it's nice to have that desire. Yeah. But if you're not willing to make the commitment and the sacrifice, like I said, I was making, I was behind the bulletproof glass with my checks, paying guys to train me, right? I mean, I gave up everything. I would make a, I would, again, I hate to say it, but back then I had no money. I would make pasta and a big pot of sauce on Sunday night 
and I would eat that every night for dinner as my only food. I could eat for the whole week for like eight bucks. Right. Right. But that gave me the money to do the other stuff I wanted because I wasn't making any real money. Yeah. But I had a passion. I really wanted to learn. I asked the right questions. I sacrificed for it. And I ultimately get it. And I know that sounds cliche and people, young people are like, oh yeah, all these guys say that. Guess what? <laughs> There's no substitute from having a mentor or somebody who really has figured it out. Because not many of us make it to 51 and are still in this industry. Right. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, the, the, life in, the life expectancy of a personal trainer in the United States is three years. Because most people don't figure it out because they think that they're going to get the money and they're going to get all these other things first instead of going to the gym and waking up at four o'clock in the morning, sacrificing and doing it. So if you think that you're just going to try to bypass that stuff and jump in, you're going to look back two, three years and be like, I'm still making $15 an hour and I'm still in the exact same place. Why I haven't, why have I not kept moving up the ladder to a place that really is allowing me to start creating a career versus having a job? Yeah. And I think, you know, putting in hard work and investing in your passion and being willing to sacrifice, like you had talked about, interning and doing what you feel is best to put yourself in the best position, not only now, but in the long term. Like, I think a lot of times when you look at young coaches or young trainers, they just want all the, the, the glory right away and without putting they, in- They want what I have. Yeah. yeah it's like, I'm, like I said, I'm 51 years old. They, right. you know, again, but they, they don't see the bulletproof glass days and the big pot of sauce, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's easy to look at me now and say, oh, great. I'd like to be able to have what Ben has his own facility right. and working with professional athletes. Yeah. Great. I hear you. Right. I hope that you can do that and be right. successful. I wish everybody that, but understand that it, it wasn't luck. I mean, sure. Probably some of it was luck, right. but I mean, in, in general, I did a lot of, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I did a lot of the right things. Yeah. And it wasn't driven by an end goal. It wasn't to be somebody special. It was a, driven by the passion to just learn and be the best I could be. Yeah. And I think people always want the results without putting in the work, right? They see what you're doing and, and they're like, hey, I want to be, be Ben. But what are you willing to sacrifice and do in order to get there, right? And I think that's- They're still not reading their 10 pages a day like I'm still doing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's the thing. It's some of these small, consistent things that you do on a daily basis and yearly basis that- Go a long way in showing people, hey. I'll, I'll, like, as I'm sitting here at my desk, so bookshelf yeah. right next to my desk, right? Perfect. Across the room, look at the books, bookshelves there, just stacked books everywhere, right? I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm always trying to learn something. And look, you get to a point where you're not going to learn a million new things, but you're looking for pearls. You get yeah. to a point where you're saying, hey, look, you know what? I'm not going to read a book and everything I believe is going to change anymore. I'm not 20 years old anymore. But if you find one pearl or two pearls, right, and that, that's what happens as you age, right? We become pearl divers. Yeah, right. You, you spend a lot of time to find one thing of high value. Yes. And if you can occasionally find that one thing of high value and you, and you do enough reading, you will find enough high value things per year that you will really put yourself in the right trajectory. Well, Ben, this was an awesome conversation. You know, I really appreciate you spending some time with us here. So for those who maybe want to learn more about what you're doing or maybe want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? On Instagram, Twitter, all it's, um, on inst- Instagram, I'm just Ben.Sheer. We have a golf, Ben Sheer Golf one also, but Ben.Sheer is my personal one. Uh, ben underscore Sheer on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, you know, both the company and myself. Uh, you can email me if you need at Ben at BenSheerGolf.com.
Awesome. So what we'll do, guys, is we'll put all of his contact information in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Ben or maybe have some questions about maybe what he's doing, um, we'll put that in the show notes so you guys can reach out. So yeah, website, bensheergolf.com, all, you know, all the basic stuff that everybody else is doing. And maybe why don't you, why don't you plug your podcast as well? Because I, I know I've been listening to your podcast and I really enjoy it. So maybe for those who maybe want to hear a little bit more about some of the stuff that you're doing in the trenches, maybe why don't you pitch your podcast as well? Yeah, so I have, it's called the Bench Your Golf Podcast. You know, I kind of, for me, also a new project. Maybe I've done, I don't know, six or seven or something at this point. We actually, I actually have one coming out this Wednesday with Will Wu on early specialization. And I think people might be shocked at what we have to say um, about it. <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty controversial for sure, but backed by science. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a passion. I bring on, I've had Sean Foley on, I've had some great teachers on. Yeah. Some of them I just do myself and talk about speed generation and training stuff. Yeah. So it's just, you know, kind of me shooting it with my buddies, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great show. It's a great listen, too. I appreciate it. So. All right, guys. Well, listen, if you guys have any questions, you can reach out to Ben. We'll put the stuff in the show notes. Thanks so much for, again for listening to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. We'll catch you on the next show. Thanks again, Ben. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content of this show, we would love it if you would leave an iTunes review to help us grow and expand our ability to provide you with the golf information you are seeking. If you're listening to this show and are dealing with aches, pains, or issues from golf that haven't been resolved, or you're not exactly sure where to turn, then let us know how we can help. Whether you are local or not, you can work directly with us through our pain-free golf performance program, which is completely virtual and online. This program is customized to you and your goals of playing your best golf yet. We would assess how well you move to give us a baseline of what you can do, and then based on that assessment, come up with a training program best suited for you. We are offering a special podcast promotion, which gives you access to our program at a reduced rate. You can inquire by going to manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash painfree golf. Again, mana is spelled M-A-N-A. So it's manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash painfree golf and use a promo code podcast when inquiring so we can help you feel better and play better golf. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and we'll catch you then.